Well, this morning I'm in the fourth week of a sermon series I'm doing through the New Testament book of First Peter. It's a letter written by the Apostle Peter, one of the early church leaders, to a group of Christians who are scattered throughout Asia Minor, which is modern-day Turkey. And I've entitled the sermon series Stranger because this is one of the themes that is throughout the letter, that we live here not as citizens of earth, but as uh, resident aliens, so to speak, to, as, as strangers, as foreigners, as ones who belong to God but live here. And how do we then live in that dynamic? Um, and so our primary identity, our primary values, our primary hopes, not given to us by our culture, but given to us by God. So this letter began by focusing on who, on who we are in Christ, who we are in God's sight, moved on from there to talk about how we relate to each other in the church. That's what we looked at last week. And now today he shifts to how we relate to the culture, how we relate to the world as strangers, as believers, as resident aliens. So this morning I'm going to read uh, from 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 11 through 25. And so if you have a Bible, you can follow along. Otherwise, it'll be up here on the screen. Dear friends, I urge you as aliens and strangers in the world to abstain from sinful desires which war against your soul. Live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. Submit yourselves for the Lord's sake to every authority instituted among men, whether to the king as the supreme authority or to governors who are sent by him to punish those who do wrong and to commend those who do right. For it is God's will that by doing good you should silence the ignorant talk of foolish men. Live as free men, but do not use your freedom as a cover-up for evil. Live as servants of God. Show proper respect to everyone. Love the brotherhood of believers. Fear God. Honor the king. Slaves, submit yourselves to your masters with all respect, not only to those who are good and considerate, but also to those who are harsh. For it is commendable if a man bears up under the pain of unjust suffering because he is conscious of God. But how is it to your credit if you receive a beating for doing wrong and endure it? But if you suffer for doing good and you endure it, this is commendable before God. To this you are called because Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example that you should follow in his steps. He committed no sin and no deceit was found in his mouth. When they hurled their insults at him, he did not retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. Instead, he entrusted himself to him who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree so that we might die to sins and live for righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed. For you were like sheep going astray, but now you have been returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. This is God's word. Let me pray before we continue. Lord, we pray that you would help us to understand what this means, what it meant in its first century context, what it means to us today, Lord. Use this and use your Holy Spirit to transform us this morning into the men and women that you've created us to be. We'll pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So I just need to remind you, first and foremost, that when we come and read the Bible, it's not a message that is dropped out of the sky to 21st century America. It is a letter or letters or, or gospels, history con context uh, written to specific people living in specific times and places, right? So when you read something about like slaves and masters or in the next section about wives and husbands and you're like, wait a minute, that does not make sense to me. Don't worry. We'll explain. There's a reason for it. Um, there's, the way I'm going to approach this passage and the following passage that we didn't read this morning is that I'm going to kind of give a more broad overview of one of the main themes that shows up here this morning, and that's the theme of freedom and slavery. And then we're going to get into next week some of the specific realms of life 
uh, and how that applies. So we're going to dive a little deeper into this passage next week. But I want to go back to First uh, Peter chapter 2. Uh, he says, live as free men, but do not use your freedom as a cover-up for evil. Live as servants of God. Live as free men, but do not use your, your freedom as a cover-up for evil. Live as servants of God. It's an interesting juxtaposition there. He's talking about you're free. You are free, so live as a slave. And again, this is, as you can see, as I'm going to go through this, you're going to see this kind of blows the categories of our modern-day culture out of the water in what he talks about when he talks about freedom. So there's three specific ways I'm going to look at this morning that I think this passage and the Bible challenges our modern culture's understanding of freedom. The first is this. In this passage, he tells them to live free from destructive desires. He begins in verse 11 by saying, Dear friends, I urge you as aliens and strangers in the world to abstain from sinful desires which war against your soul. He's telling them, don't indulge every desire that you have because some desires that you have are in opposition to your soul. They are contrary to what is actually good for you that what would actually bring you life, the life that God desires for you. And he's writing to them saying it's some desires from within, some desires from your culture. Some desires are not meant to be indulged. Some desires are meant to be, he says, abstained from, resisted. And already I think you're going to see a conflict between our culture and, and what Peter is saying here. Because in our culture, my understanding, as I have lived in this cultural waters for a while, is that freedom, as our culture describes it, is the absence of restrictions. The free person is the one who has no restrictions, the one who is free to choose to be or do whatever he or she wants, and nobody can tell them what's right or wrong. That's my understanding as I've looked out at our world, at our, as our culture, that freedom, the free person is the one who is free to be or do whatever it is they please, whatever it is they want, and no one can tell them otherwise. It's the attitude, as William Shakespeare put it, this above all, to thine own self be true. Sound familiar? This is second nature to those of us who live in America, I believe, right? To your own self be true. If you want to be free, if you want to be authentic, if you want to be a genuine, fulfilled person, you look within, discover what desires are in there, and then you live those out. And everyone out there should affirm and applaud you for your desires and your beliefs and how you live. That is freedom in the modern-day concept. Charles Taylor, a philosopher from Canada, put it this way in his book, A Secular Age. He said, I mean the understanding of life. He called, this is talking about the age of authenticity, which he says what we're living in. I mean the understanding of life which emerges with the romantic expressivism of the late 18th century, that each one of us has his or her own way of realizing our humanity, and that it is important to find and live out one's own as against surrendering to conformity with a model imposed on us from outside by society or the previous generation or religious or political authority. That's the age of authenticity in which we live. Don't give in to any oppressive kind of authoritative structures, maybe be they political or your parents or religion, but look within and live in conformity to what you find within. That's freedom. Another great term for this is expressive individualism. Carl Truman In his book, The Rise and Triumph of the Modern Self, he puts it this way, expressive individualism particularly refers to the idea that in order to be fulfilled, in order to be an authentic person, in order to be genuinely me, 
I need to be able to express outwardly or perform publicly that which I feel I am inside. Does this sound familiar to you? This is the world in which we live. This is, if you're young in here, this is probably the cultural waters in which you swim, in which you're being raised to believe, right? That freedom is found by looking within, discovering what desires are in there, and then living them out and expecting the world to applaud and affirm whatever that is. That's freedom. But again, this is what Peter says. He says, dear friends, I urge you as aliens and strangers in this world. Again, this world is not your home. All the values given to you by this culture are not right, are not always correct, are not always good for you. He says, abstain from sinful desires which war against your soul. There's some desires, he says, whether they come from within or from without, there are some desires that you have that should not be indulged, that should not be just expressed, that actually are warring against your soul, that want to destroy you, that are destructive. And so some desires maybe need to be expressed and some desires need to be suppressed or abstained from. He uses the word, the word for sinful desires in the Greek is epithemia, which if you take apart the, the two parts, epi is over and themia is desire. It's an over-desire. Some translate it as sinful desires or, or some as passionate uh, passions of the flesh. But there's some desires, he says, that war against our soul, that are destructive to us. So what is freedom? If, if, if the culture describes freedom as the absence of restrictions, that I'm truly free if no one is telling me what I can or cannot do, that I can, I'm following my own desires, what's freedom from a biblical perspective? True freedom from the biblical perspective would be submitting to the right restrictions, to the life-giving restrictions. So take, for instance, this fish. It's a beautiful creature. Consider yourself a fish for a minute. And what if as a fish you say, you know what, you've been reading a lot of modern day cultural philosophy and you're like, I am sick and tired of all this water. You know, what, who says that I need, to be a, I need to live in water? It's so restrictive. I want to live on land. I want to throw off the shackles of the oppressors and go live on land. What's going to happen to you? You're going to die, right? What about if you're a bird? Think of another animal. What if it, if you're a bird, you're like this whole like sitting in trees and flying through the air thing. I want to explore the water. I'm going to go live in the water. You know, I'm, I'm tired of all this oppression, all these, all these, I, I want to be free to live in the water. What's going to happen to that bird that tries to go live in the water? The bird's going to die. Because freedom in nature is not just the absence of restrictions, but it's Submitting yourself to the proper restrictions, the life-giving restrictions. What about if you play an instrument? Is freedom for the instrumentalist, the piano player, just, I'm going to play whatever I want. I'm going to play every note, whatever I want, however I want. Is that true freedom? Or is true freedom found in disciplining yourself to learn how to properly play an instrument so that then one day you'll be free to play beautifully? Again, what's true freedom? Is true freedom the absence of restriction? I'm not following the laws of the piano, the laws of music. I'm just going to bang on this keyboard however I feel. What about the athlete, right? Is true freedom come from, come from, you know, all these rules of how to play this game? Forget about these rules. I'm just going to play however it is I want and do whatever I want out here. Is that true freedom, the absence of restrictions, or is true freedom found in submitting yourself disciplining yourself to the laws of the game as they're created so that one day you can be as free on the court 
as anyone else? What about if you own a car? You know, how about you buy your first car and you're like, what is this maintenance schedule? Right? I don't want to follow this maintenance schedule. I'm free. And my car is free. I'm not going to do oil changes. I'm not going to change the air filter. I'm not going to change the brakes of the tires. I want to be free to take care of this car however I feel. Again, the car is going to break down eventually because you're not submitting it to life-giving restrictions that have been set up to prolong the life of that car. Are you getting my point here? The culture is teaching you that freedom is found in an absence of restrictions, looking within, discovering it as you know, what you feel on the inside and then giving expression to it and no one can tell you otherwise. And that's going to be where you find life and freedom and true happiness. But everywhere else in this world, that's not what freedom is. True freedom is found in discovering what the life-giving restrictions are and submitting yourself to those. So true freedom is not the absence of restriction, I'm arguing here biblically, but submitting to the right restrictions, to the life-giving restrictions. And so Paul, again, tells them, listen, there's going to be some desires that are warring against your soul that actually are going to destroy you that you need to resist. It's not just a matter of just giving free reign to whatever it is you feel. That's not true freedom. True freedom is living as you were designed. Just like that car, if it submits itself to how it was designed, is going to last a long time and bring a lot of life. Just like that athlete, just like that instrumentalist, as they restrict themselves, discipline themselves, submit themselves to the rules of the piano or of the game, they are going to find true freedom in the same way you as an individual If you were created by God, if you were designed, then you are going to find true freedom as you submit yourselves to the design of your creator. Does that make sense? If there's a creator who designed you, you are going to find true freedom as you submit yourself to the design of the creator. Again, live as free men, but do not use your freedom as a cover-up for evil. Live as servants of God. Peter is saying, you want to be truly free? Live as a servant of God. Wow. Again, this is completely at odds with our culture. They would say, if you want to live truly free, don't live as a servant of anyone. To thine own self be true. And Peter says, no, you want to live truly free, live as a servant of God. That's what you were created for, to know, to love, to be loved by, to serve God. And if that is true, that means your authentic self, your true self, your best life is not going to be found by looking within and then giving free reign to whatever desires you find in there. It's going to be fine by looking to God and then living according to the will of the one who created you, submitting yourself to his design. Because here's the thing about freedom, as the world says and doesn't get, that there's no such thing as pure freedom. There's no absence of restrictions, that you're always serving something. You're always a slave to something. 1 Corinthians 10, 12 says, everything is permissible for me, but not everything is beneficial. Everything is permissible for me, but I will not be mastered by anything. This is Paul quoting a familiar verse in Corinth that everything's permissible. I can do whatever I want. But he said, yeah, but not everything's good for you and not everything is, is, and you're going to be mastered by it if you give yourself to it. 
It says, Jesus put, he said, I tell you the truth, everyone who sins is a slave to sin. Okay, and he says, if you go against the design for which God designed you, you're going to be enslaved to that. There's no such thing as freedom as an absence of restriction. You're going to serve something. Either you're going to serve the one who created you and find life-giving restrictions, or you're going to serve something else. I mean, the most obvious examples of this are you think of addictions. You think of the more you exercise your freedom to drink alcohol, the more you become a slave to alcohol. The more you indulge your sex drive outside of the bounds of marriage, the more you become a slave to that. The more you do any number of things that are contrary to God's will, the more you become a slave to it, the more you become addicted to it, the more you need that. And the more that our culture, I believe, becomes one where people seek out freedom as the absence of restriction, saying, I should be free to do whatever I want, however I want, I have a feeling our world may devolve more and more into chaos as we all decide I'm free to do whatever it is I want and you need to affirm and applaud that. True freedom is com- it comes in submitting ourselves to the design, serving the one who made us. Galatians 5.13, Paul says, You, my brothers, were called to be free, but do not your f- use your freedom to indulge a sinful nature. Rather, serve one another in love. Serve one another in love. Not living for yourself, not living out of your own desires, but living to serve God, to love others. It's not just about, like, you know, getting drunk. It's about anything that we put above God, whether it's kids, family, career, money, anything we put above God, become, we become a slave to it. We become controlled by it because ultimately our well-being will depend upon how we're doing in that area, whether we're succeeding or failing at love in our career with our kids, you're going to serve something. And salvation comes when you come to trust God and his design for you. When you recognize he loves you, he knows what's best for you. In him is found fullness of life, true freedom for your soul. Again, if you're skeptical about this this morning, that's okay. Some of you may be still trying to come to terms with this idea. But remember this message after you follow your inward desires and find that they don't fulfill you the way it was promised. That you were created and like everything else in nature, everything else that's built by humans, true freedom comes in submitting yourself to your design, to how you were designed, to the creator who designed you. It's not found in just looking within and just giving expression to that. So that's the first thing we learn about true freedom, that it's not just freedom in following whatever desires come through. It's freedom from destructive desires. Secondly, it's to live free from the judgment of others. In verse 12, he says, live such good lives among the pagans, which are the non-Christians at the time, live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. There's another, you know, seemingly contradictory thing there that as you live for God, some people are going to accuse you of doing wrong are going to think you're a menace to society, and then others are going to see your good works and praise God. Some are going to love you, and some are going to hate you, right? I think, again, when it comes to freedom, our culture, I believe, has a strong belief that not only should you be free to choose who you are and how you want to live, but also that others should affirm your choices. And if they don't affirm and applaud your choices, that they are causing you harm and somehow invalidating your existence. Does that make sense? 
again, this is kind of the culture that we are swimming in more and more. That everyone should be free to live as they please and that you should affirm and applaud that. And if you don't, you are causing them harm. There's a derogatory term for that in our culture, and that's snowflake culture. Some of you have heard that term before, right? But again, I would argue that true freedom doesn't come. True freedom doesn't come from everyone applauding and affirming you. Again, that's slavery. That is slavery to the opinions of others. If your whole like self-worth and existence depends upon other people affirming and applauding you, you're a slave. You're a slave to other people's opinions. True freedom comes when you're free from that. You're free from what other people say of you, whether they, as Peter said, applaud your good deeds or whether they accuse you of doing wrong. And you're even free from what you think of yourself. You're even free from your own evaluation of yourself. Jesus said, again, in the same way, let your light shine before men that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. True freedom doesn't come when there's nobody left who opposes you, nobody left who questions you, nobody left who criticizes you. You're never going to get to that point. I don't care who you are or what you believe or how you live. You're never going to get to a point where everyone just applauds you and says that you're amazing. There's always going to be people who criticize you, always going to be people who think you're wrong. And if you live your life based on what other people think about you, you're a slave. You're not free. True freedom comes when it doesn't matter what others think. It doesn't even matter what you think. It matters what God thinks. This is what Paul said in 1 Corinthians 4, 3 through 4. I care very little if I am judged by you or by any human court. Indeed, I do not even judge myself. My conscience is clear, but that does not make me innocent. It is the Lord who judges me. You see, this is who I am in Christ. When I put my faith in him, I'm completely forgiven of anything I've ever done or anything I ever will do. No more guilt, no more condemnation, no more shame. I'm perfect in the sight of the one whose opinion matters more than anything else. Not because I'm perfect, but because he sees me as perfect. Because I'm in Jesus, his son. He sees me as he sees his son, Jesus. I know that he loves me, that nothing can separate me from his love. I know that he's always working all things together for good, no matter what happens, as it says in Romans 8, 28. I know that he's going to complete the good work he's begun. I know that he has eternal life waiting where there's going to be no more sin, no more suffering, no more death. I could go on and on and on, but these are the truths of who he says that I am, who he says that you are in Christ. And so what can man do to me? What can anyone's opinion do to me? Yes, some are going to accuse me of doing wrong. Some are going to think I'm a terrible human being. And some are going to see my good deeds and glorify God in heaven. But if I live my life in response to what other people think for their opinions, then I'm a slave to them. And if I live my life under my own evaluation, I'm a slave to that as well. Paul says, I don't even care what I think. It's what God thinks that matters. I'm free. I'm completely free from the opinion of others, and I'm completely free even from my own self-condemnation, my own self-evaluation. I'm free to just live for him to serve him, to love others. And the third thing we learn from this passage about what true freedom really looks like, the third and last thing, live free to serve God and others. Again, 1 Peter 2.16, he says, live as free men, but do not use your freedom as a cover-up for evil. Live as servants of God. 
again, this just is beyond any categories of our modern culture, that he's saying on the one breath, you are completely free. And then he's saying, use that freedom to serve others. What? Use that freedom to serve others, not to please yourself, but to serve others because you're free. You're free, so be a slave. You're free, so serve others. It just doesn't seem to compute or line up because, our, again, our modern culture, I believe, teaches us that those two things are opposite. The true freedom means that you're free from any obligations to other people. You're free from commitments to other people. I don't really want to maybe get married because then I'm not free anymore. I'm limiting my choices and options. I don't necessarily know that I want to commit to a church because then I'm limiting my freedom and, and I'm, I'm committing to a group of people. I don't know that I want to commit to this job long-term. I want to keep my options open. I want to be free. And every time I commit, I'm limiting my options. I'm restricting my freedom. But he's saying, again, true freedom doesn't come from just having unlimited options. True freedom doesn't come from having no restrictions. True freedom comes in submitting yourself to the right, the life-giving restrictions. To marriage, if God so intends. To children, if God so intends. They restrict your freedom, right? Amen. Restricting yourself, (laughs) limiting yourself to the right restrictions. That's true freedom. That's where true joy, true pleasure, true fulfillment comes. Not in having no restrictions, but to submit yourself to the right restrictions. This passage, again, as I mentioned, is going to get into some really challenging topics. He begins by talking about your relation to government. And remember, this is, this is, he's talking to people who are under Roman emperors who are persecuting Christians, and he's telling them to submit to their governing, governments. And then he gets into the relationship between slaves and masters, household servants and masters. And then he gets into husbands and wives after this, which we'll look at again next week. And there's some difficult, you know, tricky situations there where Peter is trying to, on the one hand, uphold things about the culture, and then subvert them at the same time, as you're going to see next week. But running throughout is this overarching theme of service. You are free. Even though they call you a slave, you're free. Even though as a wife in those days you were property of your husband, you're not. You're free in Christ. You're a free person. Now use that freedom to serve. Not because they call you a slave or property, but because you're free in Christ. You're following the one who gave himself for you. So give yourself for others. Here's the thing about, you know, that definition I gave of our modern culture that freedom is the absence of restriction. There's another word for that in case you didn't pick up on it. And that is, drum roll please, selfishness. That's that's the word we're looking for. Our culture calls it freedom, the absence of restrictions. There's another word for that, and that word is selfishness. In other words, I don't want anyone else to tell me what I should or should not do, how I can or cannot live, what I can or cannot be. I want to do what I want to do and be who I want to be and do what I want to do, and you can't tell me otherwise. Huh, is this really, as a culture, what we think is freedom, what's really going to bring true, fulfilling life to individuals and to our world? Selfishness is the opposite of love. This self-centeredness that says, I want an absence of restrictions. I want everyone to revolve their life around me. That's not going to bring life. It's not going to bring love 
It's just selfishness, and that's the antithesis of love. Again, I'm telling you that it's not the absence of restriction. It's submitting yourselves to the right restrictions, the life-giving ones. It's making commitments and making promises and loving people within those that brings true fulfillment and life. It's not having all the options open and doing whatever it is you want. Martin Luther wrote a, a treatise called On Christian Freedom. He began it with this. He said, a Christian is an utterly free man, Lord of all, subject to none. A Christian is an utterly dutiful man, servant of all, subject to all. Again, this seeming contradiction that on the one hand, we are completely free in Christ. We're forgiven of all our sins. We can do whatever it is we want. And at the same point, he says, you're free, so serve others. You're free, so commit to others. You're free, so love others and don't live for yourself. 1 Corinthians 9, 19, Paul says, Though I am free and belong to no man, I make myself a slave to everyone to win as many as possible. The reason you can do this, the reason that you can say, I know I'm free, but I'm going to use this freedom to serve others, is because of the example that he gave here of Jesus. 1 Peter 2, 21 to 25, Jesus on the cross is the ultimate example of restricting your freedom, right? This is the eternal son of God who for all eternity was living with the Father's spirit with no restrictions, really. They loved, complete, perfect love. Gave up that, restricted himself to come down to live, to restrict himself to live a sinless life, to die on the cross in our place out of love for us. 1 Peter 2, 21 to 25, again, he said, to this you were called because Christ suffered for you leaving you an example that you should follow in his steps. He committed no sin and no deceit was found in his mouth. When they hurled their insults at him, he did not retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. Instead, he entrusted himself to him who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree so that we might die to sins and live for righteousness. And by his wounds, you have been healed. How can you live this way? How can you live as a servant, as a slave? How can you use your freedom not just to tell everyone they need to indulge and affirm and applaud you, but to actually submit yourselves to God's will and serve others? Because he did that for you. He's not calling you to do something he didn't do for you. And the more you see that that's the God you're serving, not this tyrant up in the sky who's saying, follow me, you know, or I'll crush you, but the one who gave his life to die for you, then you could say, you know what? I'm going to serve something in this world. I'm going to be a slave to something, whether it's career, spouse, love, freedom, independence. I'm going, to, I'm going to be a slave to something in this world. Why not submit myself to the only one who would die for me, who would love me enough to die for me? Submit myself to the one who created me, who the restrictions he's placed on me is for my good so that I might have life abundant. Why not trust the one who died for me? Maybe he knows what's best for me if he created me. Even if I don't understand it, even if it goes against what my culture says, maybe, just maybe, if he created me, he knows what's best. And maybe true freedom is gonna find, be found not in just looking within and living whatever I find there, but it's gonna be found in looking up, looking in here and submitting yourself to his design for you. Amen? Let me close with prayer.
Lord, thank you. The true freedom is found in knowing you and serving you. This is, I know, just hard to understand for us who live in this culture that tells us that true freedom is found from just looking within and living as whatever it is you find in there. But God, help us this morning to trust you, to trust that you gave your life for us, that you love us that much, that you created us, and that following you and serving you is going to be where we find life to the full and true freedom. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.